Good morning and welcome to The Morning Fix. I'm Julie Dye and I'm here with my co-host, Amy Shepard. Good morning. The Morning Fix is a podcast series brought to you by 510K Cafe. Today we're chatting with Ethan Lauer, who is the founder and CEO of Implant Base, an Austin-based software as a service company that helps medical device organizations manage inventory in the field and at healthcare facilities. Ethan started his career in logistics while in the U.S. Army. After that, he transitioned into sales with a medical device distributor. He then founded two startups in the neuromonitoring space, one of which was acquired by Biotronic Neuro Network. During those experiences, he became passionate about creating customer responsive software. He then left the neuromonitoring industry to focus on software exclusively and started Implant Base in mid-2009. Ethan is also passionate about giving back and is a board member of Spine Hope, a nonprofit organization that helps children with deformities in developing countries. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ethan. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Amy. Glad to be here. Yes, welcome, Ethan. Tell us more about your organization, Implant Base, and the challenges that it helps medical device companies solve. Yeah, great. So, um, you know, we are, as, as you mentioned in the intro, you know, we're a software as a service company that's focused on the orthopedic medical device industry, which in, includes uh, all of the companies that sell total joints and spine instrumentation and plates and rods and screws for all kinds of orthopedic pathology as well as trauma. And, you know, in, in short, the big problem that we're solving is these companies have billions of dollars worth of inventory and billions and billions of dollars worth of sales activity in the field that in large part is still all just run on pen and paper and fax machines and lots of emailing and text messaging and phone calls. And so what we have endeavored to do is to create what really started out as a, as a sales rep centric system that automates and streamlines and then ultimately digitizes all of that and connects them to their manufacturer organizations, customer service, field inventory, and then ultimately all the way back into their ERP, whether that's uh, you know SAP or you know Oracle or you know something all the way as uh, maybe simple as as QuickBooks. So you know that's really what we're up to. Been at it about uh, as you mentioned about eleven years, and you know helping companies solve those challenges is a huge project and um, something that they're largely trying to solve using Excel and and other kind of ad hoc tools. And so it's been really fun and really interesting to watch the industry start to you know, kind of go through this transformation. It's really interesting background that you have. You know, as we mentioned, you started out in logistics with the armed forces and then you moved over into medical device and neuromonitoring. What attracted you to bring you more over into the software and sort of service provider area within the med device industry? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. And it's kind of uh, you know when I think back on it, you know, it all started in the early '90s when I was an army officer, and we were dealing with it. It's you know you can abstract it maybe one or two levels, and it's all the same thing. And and that is is you know there's something somewhere, there's an event happening somewhere else, and stuff needs to get from where it is to where it needs to be. So you know back then it was bullets and ice and repair parts and vehicles and, you know, information essentially. And, and, you know, in those days, 
we were running floppy disks from one place in the desert to another place in the desert or from one place on the army base to another place on the army base. You know, so it was this really 1970s infrastructure. And so juxtapose that with my first day as an orthopedic sales rep and my boss said, hey, I want you to go over to Brackenridge Hospital and uh, I want you to write down what the surgeon used today in surgery and, you know, handed me a clipboard and a pencil. And, you know, I thought I was being hazed or something. And, and, uh, you know, here's this multi-billion dollar industry that is running on clipboards and pieces of paper. And even in the army, you know, we had some kind of automation. And so, you know, it was really then that I started to try to think about how to get things into Excel, how to get, you know, even started at the time, you know, by day I was an orthopedic sales rep by evening and night, I was a, you know, access database application developer trying to develop something internally for our distributorship that would solve some of these problems. And that was kind of the, the real prototype of, of what we have today in plant-based, but there were, you know, a couple of other sort of side paths in there. I think probably the most relevant on this path is that uh, about after about seven years of being in the orthopedic industry, I started that neuromonitoring company and got over there and had all the same problems. You know, what techs needed to be where, what surgeries were happening, who needed to be billed for what. And QuickBooks and Excel just weren't doing it for me. And so I hired some developers. You know, at that point, it was my own company. I had control of the purse strings so I could make the type of investment. And that created a piece of software that ultimately became a second company called Neurostream, which then we started selling that solution to our colleagues and competitors in that industry. And um, that was really what got my head in the mode of thinking, wow, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here, but think back to orthopedics and, you know, around the late 2000s, all of my you know, old friends from the med device industry were still doing the same thing we were doing back in 2000 and 2001. And so a huge opportunity there to apply some of the things that I had learned and some of the experience I had in both logistics in the army, as well as automation throughout that whole episode to really, you know, land where we are today with what was the beginning of implant base in, in uh, 2009. You know, Ethan, I love I love your story. I love speaking with entrepreneurs who oftentimes have a vision or they walk into a a a scenario or a situation and they they come up with they envision a solution. And that's what makes that what that's what makes entrepreneurs unique. And I think um that that that's what makes your story unique and something that our listeners would find really compelling. You've worked in different segments of the medical device industry, if you've mentioned. What changes have you seen in med device marketing throughout the years? That's another really great one. And, and um, you know, it, I, I've, been, I've been on the inside of it, as a, on the receiving end as a sales rep. So I, what my first job as an orthopedic sales rep was working for Depew Acromed, which was a mashup of those two companies that ultimately somewhere right about right around the beginning was purchased by J and J. And, you know, as a sales rep back then, it was really the wild west, I feel like, especially as compared to today. You know, there was no Advamed, there was no um, Sunshine Act, there was really no enforcement around, you know, what there was loose enforcement around what you could say and what you could do. And um, I think for sure and 
for everyone's benefit that has changed significantly from that perspective but you know as a sales rep you're really on the receiving end of the messaging that you get from um back then you were you're on the receiving end of the messaging that you got from marketing right there were there were hard copy brochures and email was a thing but it wasn't really a thing for communicating with your surgeons if you were communicating with your surgeon or your hospital customer back then it was because you were personal friends and you both had each other's you know AOL email address or hotmail you know e- email address it's completely changed now and you know i still feel like med device and i think just as part of the industry that we target i think that med device in general especially when targeting their customers the hospitals and the surgeons are still lagging because the hospitals and surgeons are lagging in in technology take for example you know digital marketing and campaigns and and you know all the inbound stuff that people try to do i think only recently that has become something that med device companies are really focused on but i think there's a couple of other things too in that and this is more about the sales reps being the chief way that many medical device companies have marketed over the course of the past you know call it 20 years where the messaging is developed by product marketers within the medical device company they pass that out to the reps and the reps are really the message deliverers and a lot has changed really two things one and first was the affordable care act and you know it used to be when i was a sales rep you know all of my doctors who were the only decision maker they were mostly in most cases my personal friend or i would get a lot of airtime with them i'd have hours and hours in the operating room to talk to them and you know develop ideas develop conversations let things you know sort of plant a seed let it let it cultivate you know let it grow come back later you know slowly infusing my message into into the into the customer to get them to make decisions any more especially with the affordable care act and how it has bundled the payments and therefore the financial power to the hospitals you know they've really done some things to limit you know limit vendors the surgeons still have choices but there's just a lot fewer choices and so that has i've i've seen that change as well i've seen the strategies of of our customers you know now that we that our customer is a medical device company you know they've really started to to change those things but it's it's also you know that same thing and i i could get into this a little bit later uh, as well but you know that same thing with the affordable care act has driven a lot of people towards us as a service that they need based on uh immense pricing pressure from hospitals and then i guess the last thing i'll say there is i think that covid has really accelerated this whole digital marketing piece right i think that the the crop of surgeons that are coming up now are you know millennials right or or maybe folks that are right on the edge of you know the the leading edge of the millennial generation right so these are the folks that have been texting 80 words per minute on a flip phone since they were in high school and they are you know engaged in social media they're engaged in all that and so of course you know covid has limited even reps being able to visit surgeons offices or doctors offices or hospitals and so all of it has gone not all of it but a lot of it has gone digital so there's there's right. been a lot of forces in there and that makes sense and as you were as you were answering i was i was thinking and drawing parallels you know it's funny years ago throughout the process of being active on social media and LinkedIn and Twitter, 
I, I don't remember a whole lot of activity from sales reps. And I'm noticing today sales reps and marketing VPs are greatly, greatly using these channels more so than ever. And in fact, some of my most active LinkedIn connections and connections on Twitter are, are sales reps. And I, and I noticed that the other day as I was reading some of their very interesting articles and their interesting comments. And I thought, well, I wonder if this has to do with just the advent and the evolution or the revolution of digital, or if it's a result of COVID or a little bit of both. But it's interesting to see, like like you said, they used to just take that message from marketing. It was approved by, by regulatory, and then they, they were on the receiving end, and they would go go from there and communicate to the end customer. But now they're kind of, they're, they're taking that message and they're finessing it as they see fit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I agree with you. I think it's multifactorial in in terms of especially the the call it the acute uptick um, here recently of the um, you know use of digital, especially LinkedIn. I've noticed the same thing too. And it was you know for me, I guess it's a little bit weird to think of myself as old school at this point. But for me, it, it's it was a little bit weird when I started seeing it on LinkedIn as as a you know kind of like this isn't really how you communicate with your customers. Um, you know, you go see them and you, you know, you have th- things that you're talking to them about. You have other things you're talking to them about other than just your product. And so it's, it's a, it's a new world. And I think everybody's just, you know, and impressively everybody has adapted to the new conditions very quickly and to include the, the surgeons. That's actually a great segue into, you know, what we wanted to talk about next. And and you sort of touched on it a moment ago when you talked about, you know, the rise of digital marketing this year, even more so, right, than in the last couple of years that was a result of the pandemic. And I'd love to know from your perspective, if you've seen any companies or any sales reps that are really embracing the changes really well, because they don't have the amount of time that they used to have with these surgeons and with their customers. So I'm just wondering how are companies adapting? Have you seen any really great examples of that? Yeah, I have. And, and there's a, there's a, there's a couple of facets to it. You know, one is, is that, the pace of research and development, the pace of innovation inside medical device has not slowed down at all, I think, through the pandemic. And so, but I do think it's shifted towards much, much more towards a technology focus, that being technology baked into almost everything that these companies are putting out now. And, you know, if you take, uh, for example, something like HubSpot, I have seen and and I think this is all related to, hey, we're still spending a bunch of money on R&D. We're still developing all these products. We have to get the word out. But some of these things, even the simplest of these devices is is complex enough that it takes more than a one-page brochure to explain what the heck's going on and why it's important and how it's better. And so, you know, a tool like HubSpot, and I've start to, started to see some medical device manufacturers using, as a matter of fact, I've helped some of our uh, customers, as well as just folks that I know in the industry adopt it. And uh, meaning like telling them the benefits and, and all that. I certainly am not an, a HubSpot implementation expert, but in any case, the, uh, you know, what they're doing is, is that they're able to use 
and I realize I'm talking to two professional and very experienced marketers, so I'm going to use a bunch of terminology that's probably not right, but I'll go for it anyway. You know, they're using these trickle campaign kind of methodologies to spread a complex message over five or six interactions. And so I've seen that and that's, that's impressive. It's bringing everybody into the, in, you know, at least into the present, maybe a little bit into the future, but that, you know, those, the, those dollars are still being spent and those things, you know, still need to march forward. And again, you know, I think that the, that the consumer of that information is also changing. Like I said, a minute ago, it's a bunch of, you know, millennial hospital executives and millennial surgeons who are consuming this information. So I think that it's it's kind of lucky, you know, sort of the same that I guess the the uh, comparison would be, you know, Zoom was ready to go when the pandemic hit, you know, Google Meet was almost ready to go. And then it got a lot better over the last six months. So these tools were kind of ready to go when this hit. And the same thing happens with this digital marketing stuff, I think. That sounds that sounds really interesting, Ethan. We're we're seeing momentum building in Austin in the medical device space. What do you think it will take for Austin to really be known as the place to build a healthcare company? So, you know, Austin has always been this super healthy, educated, young city that has you know ever since the you know the sort of the. The when when they started connecting San Jose and Silicon Valley to Austin, you know this real techie kind of place, and I think it's an obvious choice for a couple of reasons. That um, I think also, you know, there's just everybody's moving to Texas, so it's bound to happen anyway. But the uh, you know you've got UT here, you've got a lot of research and development. I mean, the Army put Army Futures Command, right? So the the group inside the Army that's responsible for envisioning what the army of 2040 and 2050 looks like. So there's just a lot of technology draw that's that's happening here. I think that, you know, the, and as I mentioned a second ago, around what's happening in research and development inside med device is that almost everything that they're building now has some technology component. Even if it's just an articulating titanium screw, there's an app that goes with that, that the manufacturer or the rep can give to the surgeon that allows them to communicate with their patient through, an, through that app about their rehab or about product specifications or about, hey, here's the implants that you just got implanted or, you know, creating these little groups of, you know, there's an app out there that creates, creates groups of surgeons, uh, you know, a surgeon's July cohort of total knee patients. And they're all, they get, you know, onboarded to the app in late May. They're all kind of in their pre-op community in June. Um, they all go through surgery in July and then they're all in their post-op community for, uh, you know, August, September, October, November until they're all better. And there's, you know, there's, you know, there's apps that, that, uh, that everybody's doing. And then of course you have, you know, some really, some really amazing things that are happening around scanning especially interoperative scanning, and that's all technology. So, you know, if you're a software developer, you can come and work on something like implant base, or you could go work at Oracle, um, or you also have a great opportunity to go work for a healthcare startup or an established healthcare company, developing software and technology into their products. And so I think that there, you know, there's some other just sort of baseline advantages of, 
you know, being in Austin that I think a lot of people like, a spot, especially a lot of young people. But I also think the folks running these companies, you know, it's the middle of the country. It's easy to get to everywhere from here. You know, some some real simple things like that. So I, I believe it's almost inevitable that Austin is going to become this central hub that marries up a lifestyle that people want to live with being involved in healthcare, with being involved in technology. It's interesting. I actually started my career before I got into medical devices in the tech space. And I grew up in Austin and have been here ever since. And so it is really interesting what you just said about, you know, now these developers have the all these options, right? They don't have to work for Oracle, although they can, but they could go work in the healthcare space. And, you know, I feel like there's this convergence of technology and medical device and health tech kind of all coming together in Austin right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, engineers are, are um, I think a lot of times people like to think of engineers as uh, sort of st- sterile, you know, uh, personality wise, sort of, you know, robotic um, kinds of kinds of people. And what I have found is it's exactly the opposite. They're really artists that have a technical you know, interest, right? They kind of nerd out on the technical stuff and they have forever and, but they're, they're using it in a, in a creative, uh, in a creative pursuit. And so one of the things that we've experienced with our technical staff, especially the engineers is, is that they love doing something that is related. You know, we're two steps away from the patient, but they love doing something that's related to that, to patient care. And I think even more importantly, engineers love to be working on things that people are actually using. I mean, there's probably, and I'm going to make up a number here, but let's say, you know, 60% of the things that's probably high. Let's say 30% of the things that people work on a lot of times never get used or they don't get used very broadly. And, you know, in particular with our solution, you know, they get to see direct feedback from people that we're actually you know, streamlining things, making the work easier, you know, doing things that are creating efficiency and pleasing people. And I think if you're uh, an engineer that has that sort of, you know, impulse, then doing something even closer to the patient in healthcare is probably even more fulfilling. Absolutely. I think that's a reason that a lot of us are in healthcare, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about the Austin community, and one of the things that we love about your background is that you have sort of melded your professional experience with a great organization that's really giving back not only to the Austin community, but to more of the global community, and that organization is Spine Hope. As a side note, I remember when Dr. Geck actually launched this initiative back when I was working at Abbott, and I'm just, I've been so impressed what they've done through the years and the, and the kids that they've been able to help. So I'd love to t- hear a little bit more about your work with Spine Hope and maybe give our listeners an overview, you know, of what the organization does. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, Spine Hope is this wonderful organization um, it has become that. Uh, I think when Matt and I started it back in 2009, it was, it's Matt Geck, who's a, a spine surgeon here in Austin. It was, uh, we we had through some other industry and medical community relationships had identified this need in Central and South America to provide surgical services to folks in, in uh, again, you know, Central and South America. And so they, you know, they have competent well-trained surgeons there. 
Um, the problem is, is that their healthcare systems can't really afford the types of surgeries that you know we can do that we do you know almost routine, routinely here. So what we decided to do is we said let's let's put together a team of surgeons, let's put together a team of neuromonitoring people, along with the implant you know get some uh, implants uh, donated and um, you know thankfully the implants that we get donated are the latest and greatest newest stuff that companies like Medtronic uh, who have has been a, a big sponsor of us have donated and then we bring along some anesthesiology folks, some CRNAs, as well as some other support staff. And we deploy that whole team down there with, uh, with a you know, host hospital staff. And it was really a two-pronged approach that we took. One is this, hey, we want to go down there. We want to fix a bunch of kids, primarily with scoliosis. There were you know, plenty of other comorbidities that um, you know, may uh, have been fixed. You know, a Chiari malformation may have been fixed at the same time that we were in there fixing scoliosis. But so that's where it really started was providing that service. But there was a second aspect to it while we were there. And that was, you know, we're going to fly in and then we're going to fly out at the end of, you know, eight to 10 days. Well, those kids still need care. They need post-op care. They need follow-up. If they get an infection, they need to have that, that dealt with. And so it was a lot about training the surgeons and the hospital staff down there to be able to do those things without us. And we were successful in doing that in Columbia. And actually now those services are provided locally. Um, we haven't been back there in a long time. And that's ultimately the goal. I think, you know, especially U.S.-based philanthropy is sort of riddled with this history of going in and providing services and um, helping, but also in the long run, potentially hurting. Right. It's the mosquito nets thing where, you know, you go in and you provide a bunch of mosquito nets to places that are ravaged by malaria. And so then it messes up the supply chain for malaria uh, medication. And then when you pull the nets out of there, everybody gets malaria and they're, um, you know, now they're in worse straits than they were when you went in uh, at first. So our idea is, is to create these sustainable locations you know, we've done it once successfully. Um, we're, we're working on a similar thing in Costa Rica. We're working on a similar thing in Ukraine. But the last part that has really been really beneficial is through a partnership with Dell Children's Medical Center and SpineHope, we've been able to create a hub program, which is we can select patients and there's a network of surgeons around the world that will submit their cases to us and then our surgeon teams will evaluate those to say, these are good candidates to bring here. Um, sometimes they stay for a month or two and they get support from the Ronald McDonald House and other uh, charitable organizations. And um, when they come here, then they get care, just like anyone who's you know, admitted to Dell uh, Children's Medical Center. And um, they get the full episode of care and they get sent home when they're able to um, be, you know, be transported or either, you know, ambulate on their own back to their home country for the level of care that's able to be provided there. And so right now during the holidays, we are, we have a giving campaign, a donation campaign that's going, people can contribute at implantbase.com. If you go to our blog, the very first blog that's there is, um, uh, there's a donate uh, link in there, as well as you can go to spinehope.org spinehope s-p-i-n-e-h-o-p-e.org uh anytime and uh and donate there but it's, it's a really wonderful thing that has lots of great volunteers we've helped hundreds of kids and you know there's a lot there's a lot more work to to be done 
That's wonderful, Ethan, and so uh, appropriate for, 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 for the giving time of year. And it reminds me almost of Doctors Without Borders. Any program where doctors are going in and donating their time is, is a fantastic contribution to, to humanity. So thank you for sharing that story. Our listeners would be really compelled to hear that message. Well, this has been great, Ethan. We always have one more parting question for our guests, sort of a fun question. So since you were here on The Morning Fix, we'd love to know what do you do for your morning fix? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> uh, well, so uh, it's, it's, it's actually not, not that exciting. I think, you know, I, I try to have, I, you know, I've, ha- I've had a, a couple of decades of, you know, sleeping with my phone next to the bed and waking up to, you know, where the heck are you or what's going on or you need to be here or there. So the first thing I do is uh, for my morning fix is I don't turn my phone on until I absolutely have to. I'll normally come downstairs and, uh, and do a little reading. And then uh, on the mornings that I'm feeling particularly motivated, some, sometimes it's more frequent than other times I'll, I'll get a quick workout in and then I, uh, and then I start my day. So nothing, uh, nothing too exciting. I'd like to say that I, you know, do hard math problems or, you know, I do a hundred pull-ups every day or whatever, but those, that's not the case. <laughs> that's great. Well, whatever, whatever starts your day is, is a good thing. So, well, thank you again, Ethan. And thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. We love to connect with serial entrepreneurs and appreciate the work that you're doing in business and in the global, in, in the global community it truly does benefit us all. Great. I really appreciate you having me and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to contribute. I hope that uh, you both enjoyed this and I certainly did. Well, thank you again and thank you to our listeners and please look out for more inter- interviews with MedTech leaders coming soon to The Morning Fix.